This week, we are extremely lucky to have author Eli Percy with us um, to discuss their new book, uh, Duck Feet. Um, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Not at all. Um, the book itself, like we've kind of like covered a number of like representations of like working class life um, through you know various mm-hmm. like mediums and like artistic disciplines and stuff like that. Um, so it's nice to actually welcome you in because it kind of carries on in that respect. But it's also I think the book covers a completely different perspective to something that is you know natural to both like me and Paul. So it's something that we're quite excited to get into the day. Um, we normally do the whole like you know first day of work thing where we get you to introduce yourself and whatnot. But I think having you know interacted with the book, it sounds as though there's a lot of you in it already. So I think if it's all right with you, we we'll just kind of like dive in. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I just kind of like broadly speaking, how would you you know describe the book to you know the folk listening? Um, it's a coming of age novel told in a series of sort of short episodes. Um, from the point of view of a 12-year-old girl, Kirsty Campbell, um, as she goes through high school and ran through in 2001 to 2006. Well, it goes right to 2007 because it goes to the summer holidays. Um, and I think part one is first year, then it jumps to fourth year, and then it's her sixth year of high school. And it sort of covers, like, if you can imagine Grange Hill or Biker Grove, but in a, but in, but in a book in Scottish, it's like Kirsty's a wallflower. She's a she's a narrator, but the books know about her most of the time. It's about she's this wee lassie that's pretty ordinary, and she's not top of the class, but she's no she's no daft. Um, she's not su- super shy, but she's not really outgoing either. And it's just really all about what she sees her pals going through and what she sees people worrying about her, and it's about making choices and like growing up really. Mm. Was there a deliberate choice to make it sort of first, fourth and sixth year? I think when I was first starting to write it, um, it was just short stories. I just started off and I was I just started off writing one short story because it was a there was a call out for new writing um on it was shoes and I'm just sitting writing uh, high heels and brogues and all that. And I started and I wrote this one short story but a wee lassie that goes to the sun bus. Um, and then I thought I really liked I really liked doing it, I really liked her voice. So I thought I'll, I'll write another story and I wrote a bit of French class. So it was all kind of, I, I knew she was 12. I just kept going with it and I remember I was talking to Scottish author Zoe Strachan and I was going to go through all the, I was just going to go keep going through all high school years and Zoe's just like, you know, but why? Why, <laughs> you know, why? What happens in, what happens in second year that's that important? I thought that's a good point. Why, why would I do every single high school year? Um, mm. Why not just, like skip to the big stuff, which for yeah. me, when you're in first year, your most important thing is sort of like who your who's your pals are, who's your best pal. And um, you get you've you've started high school yep. and you, you maybe get twelve, you maybe get your pals that's been all through primary, and you suddenly you're going to high school, you've got your new classes and new friends and all these new people from different places. Um, and then like, but in fourth year, and and also you've got you're you're worrying about you don't want to get a punny in case your mum finds out you don't get in trouble with the teachers. You're still that sort of precautious stage where you want to get everything right but when you jump to fourth year um it's it's like you're maybe that wee bit more confident you've developed a bit you've you've now established new pals you've got your exams I think second and third year is still like a sort of training period in between mm. and it's also a wee bit like if you don't see somebody between they're 12 and they're 15 and then you meet them after after three years it's like wow they're all grown up how yeah. did you know how did they get to be this wee cute like you know pre-pre- 
person to then they're suddenly there are hormones um, and then I think at 17 you're, you're not quite you're not quite an adult but you're like oh see my mom she's this and you know my dad doesn't know what he's talking about and the teachers are rubbish and it, <laughs> I, think there's a, I think there's those kind of stages absolutely that's what yeah. kind of like I had sort of thought is that they're very important stages and I can remember coming back after summer into fifth year and feeling like I was an adult and I think that's what you're saying there like sort of 16 17 you're almost like mm-hmm. you think that you're ready yeah. you think that you you see things the same <laughs> as the adults see them but you really don't you know like, yeah. um, looking back now you think like wow yeah. um so yeah, like 17 year old just now that is like 60% of my day in lockdown is trying to convince them that no, you don't actually know everything just quite yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so obviously in the build-up to this, we've been talking quite a bit back and forth. Um and it sounds to me as though um Duckfeet has been a bit of a labour of love. It's it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? Yeah, 16 years. <laughs> That's I mean, a level of patience that I just don't understand. I'm going to be brutally honest with you. But so fair play to you for actually sticking in with it. Like, How do you find that that level of sort of determination that Matt's talking about, like the patience? Like, I've, I mean, I've previously played in bands and I've been songs after 15 minutes. I'm like, nah, like, it's not working. Mm-hmm. Like, put it in the bin. But for somebody, to hear somebody take on, like, a, a creative project that's lasted 16 years and complete it, like, where do you find that sort of, resolve um and was there other points when you were doing it that you thought like this is just not worth it or I'm just gonna like forget about this? I think um with Duck Feet it was because I was having such a good time writing the stories and it took about a year to do the first draft and there was 65 of them and I used to go to this um this sort of literary night called Read Aloud in Shawlands and Chayovna um, and every month I'd been invited back um, and there was one month where um, my friend Dave Manderson who ran it was just like, maybe maybe don't read this month and give somebody else a shot. And then folk were like, who's the Duck Feet stories? And it's just like, <laughs> actually, <laughs> you want to read again next month? And I think it was the audience, it was people's interaction that was just saying, oh, what's going to happen with Kirsty? What's going to happen with Charlene? What are they going to do next? Is that Charlene? She's a bloody idiot, you know? Um, I could strangle her. And I think it was just... When people were giving me the feedback, I was using that for the next story. I was, okay, I've listened to what everybody's saying. Um, and I spoke to so many people, so asking them questions. And I, I took what I just took on board what people were saying. And I thought, if, if other people like this, then a publisher's going to like it. There's lots of small press magazines that were, I'd send out one story and they would take it and they were like, we really love this, we really like this. Um, and then I would send it a publisher for the whole thing and folk were like no nobody's gonna read this really important for Scotland but nobody in the rest of the world was going to read this and you know see if you wrote it in English maybe it'd get published and I'm like no I'm going to write this book the way that we talk um and somebody will like it and I just knew I think I stopped sending it out as a whole thing for a long long time and I said once I get to like um 30 I think it was 30 stories I said once I get to like 30 stories that's it and I think I ended up with about 35 published um, and then Monstrous Regiment came to me and said, could you novelise it? Um, so that was out of the blue. Yeah. I think as well, like when you're talking about that reaction for people and the, the audience at the, the, the open mic nights, like I think that's kind of reflected in the response that I've seen online to the people who have just started having you know, their books land this week. Um, I think there was somebody yesterday who was like live tweeting mm-hmm. or reactions to like your characters and how they were interacting with each other 
uh, as they were sort of reading the book um, that your, your publisher was promoting yesterday and like the thread was just absolutely amazing and I think it kind of reflects that that when people are reading it they're actually seeing and hearing themselves in it and actually like getting you know getting involved with it um, which I thought was really cool I've never actually seen somebody live tweet a book they were reading before so that was cool yeah, I think it's really funny. One of the characters, Charlene, is Kirsty's best friend since primary one. Lots of people have been texting me going, I fucking hate that Charlene. She's a wee cow. Um, I'm going to bat her in the mouth. And I'm like, oh, calm down. She's 12. <laughs> you know, you're 40. <laughs> so many people have just been like, don't like her. Don't like her. <laughs> and they've been really like passionately sort of like against her. So it's really funny to... Aye, that's, mental. This must be a sign of a good character because like, it, it's almost like that whole thing when... Um, I mean, I, I work with various other podcasts and one of the things I say to them is, is that don't worry if you find people sort of saying bad things about your podcast because it means that you're doing something right. Yeah. Um, so just the fact that your characters get an emotional reaction must yeah. tell you something, that they're good characters Aye. and it's well right. People are buying into them. One of the things that we, you and I actually spoke about a fair bit... Um, Obviously, in the build-up to this, you know, you, you had your this sixteen-year wait to get this out. Um, you go to the finish line, and I think what was it? Your foot you broke right on the day before yeah, the launch. My ankle. Then we've had <laughs> a few issues. The with, <laughs> what was the day of the launch? I was going. I was. I was like in the and on that day, um, people had been tweeting me all morning, and it was it started. It'd been about four hours. I was on Twitter solidly. Couldn't get off because somebody would message me again with something else. And I was like, no, I need to, I need to go out and do something. I'm really restless because I had nothing to do. What do you do in the day of the launch? And I just, I've got all this energy. I'll go out for a run. I'm tweeting, right, see you later. I'm away for a run. Book launches in a few hours. I was out. If I, if I said I was out for five minutes, I'd be exaggerating. It took me that time to get down four flights of stairs, ran along the pavement, tripped, did a Superman dive. Um, all these people were coming over saying, are you all right? And I'm like, I'm fine. I was like, I can move my toes. I'm fine. Sat myself up on a wonky bench and was like texting my partner, you need to come get me, help me up the stairs. I can't move. I was like, I'm <laughs> um, and she went away for a shower. Um, and like I'm just sitting there, people are coming up going, Do you need a hand? Do you want a taxi? And I'm like, no, I literally live up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't get up. And then I just I was saying to my friend Julie, who did the the launch, and she's a nurse, and she's just like, Your ankle doesn't sound right. And I'm like, no, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. I was like, I mean, I kind of get my shoe on and I heard a crunch, but it's fine. And she's like, no, I think you need to phone NHS 24. So I did, and they're like, oh, you need to come on the accident emergency. And I'm like, but it's my book launch. I can't. I'll just leave <laughs> it later. And I'm saying to his book festival, oh, I've had a bit of an accident. And we're like, well, we need to know by six o'clock if you're doing this. So I just went, aye, I'll be there in a taxi, put on the good coat, got actually was like having to help getting help getting dressed got all dressed up to go with coat on because I, I feel like it was a book launch I should get dressed up for the book launch you know just sitting in a pair of pajamas um and I went and I, I'm still like buzzing thinking I'm fine I was like what's the nonsense about it it's a sprained ankle I've done it before and the wee nurse is just like ah you broke your ankle <laughs> I was just like what um so it's not even sore I was like just kind of walk on it um but I went through the whole launch still on adrenaline. It was the next day. I was just like, I've never felt pain like this. Um, and I've, you certainly I, didn't like, show it on the on the launch video. So no, I was, just, I was absolutely buzzing. But it was really weird because I was at a strange angle. I had my foot up, and it was 
the, the computer was at this really strange angle and I thought, see if I had, could have planned it. I wanted a nice bookcase behind me. <laughs> I was going to design the set. <laughs> Here's like a windmill, you know, and I literally made it back in time, like just for the tech rehearsal. And I had people text me saying, I can't get into your launch because they said I didn't book. And I'm like, I can't help you. <laughs> I'm literally just back from a haven't eaten anything all day. And I'm like, you know, I, I can't. Right. I've got five minutes to get ready. Um, and I don't even know what happened with some folk because I'm just like, sorry, no, I have to block you now. That's incredible, man. That's a story to go along like the, the book becomes a legend you've got this amazing story to tell about how you like you broke your leg on the day of the book launch but fair play like mad dedication like I'm the show must go on eh <laughs> I, I just think people had been waiting there had been people that knew me for 16 years ago that had come every month to Chayovna to and got involved in the Duck Feet stories people who had asked questions I'd interviewed them who'd had their bit who'd, who'd had a little bit of their high school life sort of like put into the put into the book for me to turn around and go like I'm not I'm not doing it you know I just, that's that's rubbish seems unthinkable <laughs> doesn't it um <laughs> so I think like maybe just moving on to the book itself but um I think you touched on earlier on setting Ren through um mm-hmm. obviously you know a lot being made particularly in the launch and stuff about it being a, a working class area um obviously you know, we come from a, a, a similar background, but I think yeah. what strikes me about the books is, is what's different about us. You know, our experience being in the city, obviously, yeah. you know, yours being out with that um, was, and I, I did quite like actually hearing like a Scottish book that is not just about, as you say, Glasgow, Edinburgh, whatever it is, like big city. There is yeah. more tears than that. Um, was it a deliberate choice to keep it? you know, where you grew up or were you just sticking to, like, what you knew? All right, it was deliberate. I mean, I think when I first wrote, when I wrote the first story, I w- it was just a stream of consciousness, and it was like that for about 10 stories where I was just, it was just this voice, this wee girl, um, and I was just going, oh, pick another subject. When I had about 10 stories, I was just like, right, okay, Renfrew has never, to my knowledge, nobody's written a book about Renfrew, nobody's written a book about people that, you know, that I grew up with, and I think there are lots of, really great books um you know set in other places but I thought why you know why not why not I mean Alan Bissett wrote about Falkirk and I love his stuff and I love how bouncy it is and how energetic and um you know that's that that really resonates with me Um, Mm and but I don't I don't come from Falkirk so so the the actual actual place you know was 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 sort of alien to me and I thought well it's easy for me to I, I, I like reading a book where I can read about the, the streets that I've walked down so I thought to to write about Ard Road and Lagan Terrace and all the places in Kirky and Renfrew um, and and certainly that's what that's feedback I've had to people as well who come for, who, who went to high school me and stuff were just like oh you know and there's one woman I don't know if you've seen it and um, that that kept saying oh that's that's the house opposite meets in your book cup and I was like Do you know what? I thought it was Leaving Square but the you know Publisher on that are saying no, no, it's a different street, right? I think, and there was a whole debate on it. And she finally got her book, took a photo of it, and she's like, "That, that's the house. That is literally the house opposite to me." I did and see I the side like, by side picture. Yeah, and it's really, really strange. Out of all the houses that they could have chose, do you know? Years ago, those two wains were outside playing in front of that close. One of them climbed a drain pipe and got their leg stuck. The fire brigade had to come and cut them out. 
and front page of the Paisley Express, and it was me. I had to get cut out of the fire no brigade. <laughs> like, like, they could not have actually like like chosen a better. I was like, I cannot believe that that is what they've chosen as the front cover because like none of them, none of the team in Monsters Regiment are for Scott. Are, like for Renfrew, um, I don't know where Hannah's from actually, but so but definitely not Renfrew anyway. But Lauren and Ellen are American and Irish, so they've never been to Renfrew. That's <laughs> we incredible. were going to do a tour, but. Uh, that's amazing. That's so amazing. I mean, that's the type of story that you still hear people talk about. Oh, mind that time, such and such. Like, I can pure picture that, like, something happening like that when we were younger as well. But for the, then to end up in the front of your book, or the cover of your book, like, that's almost like written in the stars, isn't it? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, there was loads of people who were saying, I think it's this place and that place. And I'm and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the right person. I'm, I'm no, I can't visualise stuff, so... I'm not the right person to think, if you're saying that isn't in that place that I've, that I've thought it was, then it, obviously I'm wrong. But that woman's just like, no, that is, that's not, that's the house opposite me. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that that was what they chose. That's brilliant. There was a, a part of the, the book that I really enjoyed um, because my wife comes from, like, you know, out with Glasgow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way she talks about everybody kind of like knowing everybody's business and, you know, just that kind of like, more sort of like no rural because it's no probably the right word but like I don't know what the right word is for these towns and villages on the outskirts satellite towns or whatever I don't know mm-hmm. um and she describes it being quite claustrophobic so she comes to a place also called Turkey um that uh-huh. she describes uh-huh. as almost like a tiny village when it's mm-hmm. actually like a really big sort of geographical area and like mm-hmm. the, the bit I picked up on was when you were talking about the boy Willie um being mm-hmm. missing um, and I don't want you too much of the detail, um, but obviously, you know, the, the scene as the kids are kind of kicking about, sort of speculating about, you know, how it where he is and what's happened to him and blah, blah, blah. And the, the end result is, you know, sort of surprisingly mundane, but compared to what they're imagining. Like, it reminded me a wee bit of like the, the sort of stereophonic song, um, like Thousand Trees, where, you know, it only takes one match to, you know, burn a thousand trees. And that's a, a comment on like, you know, the mentality of like, town and sort of village living like so it really does have like that authenticity for me like which I really enjoyed um, I think Wally Wally in particular is one of my favorite characters and you don't really get to know him until like quite near the end of the book because he's a boy that everybody you know you get to know you get to know about Wally he's known by his reputation and he's he's not exactly the way that you expect him to be because he's mad mental Willie McCoy sees his name in lampposts and stuff like that and um, you, the teachers don't like him because he's uh, um, as Wally says in the book he says um, because his dad's been in jail and his, all his uncles have been in jail half his family's been in the fucking jail so they all think I'm going to end up in the jail um, and this is the he sort of he has got a bit of a chip on his shoulder but yeah you, you hear about him rather than from him for most of the book Aye. Mm-hmm. such a like common thing and you know or the, you know you, when you grow up in that high school environment the reputations and the mentions that was something that was like really vivid for me as well um, <laughs> I, I think that's something that I've, I've never really even thought about this but that's surely that's a bad thing like 12 year olds like, I remember going to high school and the first day of high school the, the teacher did a round room the, the room and went who's who's your family member that's been to the school basically what they're doing is scoping you out yeah, like, yeah. who's the troublemakers 
You're like sitting yeah. there as a twelve year old. It's I've never even like thought about that, but it's such a strange thing. But it, yeah. it's real. Like it, it does it follow is. people about. It's like the the teachers when I was at school, and um, I went to different high schools. But certainly in the first high school I went to, it was just like, oh yes, I know your father, or oh yes, I you know, and I didn't get it as much as other people that I I knew got it. It was just like, oh, you're a whatever family name. I got my eye in you sort of thing, and it's just like you have you, that's your whole that that's your story being written before you've even like you, you've you've hardly been there. Aye, it's going to be rough. Aye, um, when they get to we get to know the kids and they're, they're all right. There's not you know <laughs> what I mean. Like it's like aye, their dad's a ruffian, but that they're fine and like they're just aye. misunderstood. Like that must have happened. That must happen so much to kids. Or I think what would what's coming up for me would be even worse is they would start to play up to that reputation. They feel like. I need to be the troublemaker. Yeah. Well, if I'm going to get if I'm going to get painted as it before I've even begun, then I may as well just do it. Yeah. And I think that's like that's a shame, really, isn't it? Yeah. And loads of people. I mean, as, as I said, I spoke to loads and loads of people, and what it was the same stories were coming out that I was that I was hearing. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll write the most common stories that folk are telling me, and that was that was one of them. Excellent. Um, one of the things, obviously, following the launch and stuff like that, that I was quite interested by is that you were there alongside other working-class writers who have had really great years. Um, and I think that you, you're feeling it almost like a kind of, almost like a kind of new spectrum in terms of how we like look at ourselves. Like, Graham, we're like a kind of cis white male experienced a working class. Douglas, obviously, with, you know, the gay man's experience of the working class. Obviously, yourself and you know, teenage girls and, you know, the experience of that, but again, all sort of framed in that sort of working class. And it, it steps away from, like, that very narrow, um, kind of, like, grim depiction we've had of ourselves over the years. And, like, mm-hmm. it's got to be quite exciting to be, you know, part of this that's clearly going on now, because we're starting to look at ourselves in new ways and, you know, explore ourselves in, like, different voices. I think one of the things that was important to me was well, it was very important to write it, uh, and a and a through voice. Um, and I know that when I was at like growing up, my mum would say, "Oh, speak, speak properly, speak nicely. Always say please and thanks. Don't say I. Don't say no. You know, don't say that. You sound like trash. You know, speak properly. You'll never get a job." And I, I spoke to lots of people who said that their parents would say, "Do not say that. You'll never get a job." Um, or don't say that when you're in school, <laughs> you know, you never get you never get anywhere. And then you go to high school as well, and the teachers would decide if you said I or no, you're you know, you're you're no use. You, if you can't speak properly, get my class or get my sight. And it was such a shame because you were conditioned to think that you must speak, you must speak in the Queen's English, or you know, you're you're not you're not worth anything. And it, mm-hmm. I think I became quite angry about that as a as I was sort of 19, 20 and going into college and you're getting handed Jim Kelman and it's just like, oh, actually, hang on a second, that, that book won the Booker Prize and I'm allowed to use these words. Yeah. So I'm like, no way. Um, but I decided when I was writing it that there would be no sort of critique of Kirsty's accent or the other people. Um, no, I don't think there's anybody anywhere in the whole book that that that, that says to anybody, you're, you're not speaking properly or... There's nothing because I don't. I didn't want that. I thought. I thought no. Let's let's celebrate the language. Yes, those things were said. Yes, that happened. Yes, lots of editors said to me, you 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 know, change it into proper English and not slang. But I th- I thought why 
put the attention on that why not just make it you know about about being scottish and about yep you know the, the obviously it's not all good things that happen in the book but i just i, I thought no i'm i'm not i'm i'm not giving that attention <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you think that that's a barrier that were that this latest sort of wave of scottish literature is going to like kind of break um I mean, we've seen it very recently, even with, like, I don't know if you remember Pierce Morgan's reaction to Loki on Question Time. Oh, no, with, I, just, I just ignore him. <laughs> but what happened was, Same. I mean, clearly, Darren McGarvey's a, a, an intelligent guy, yeah. you know, like, hyper-intelligent. Yeah, exactly. He was on a, a Question Time episode, I think they were in Dundee, and they were speaking about working class and classism. And Pierce Morgan just tweeted... I, I'm not even going to listen to what this guy's got to say. I can't even, basically just ripped the piss out of his accent. Like, where did this guy grow up? I can't understand him. But then what was funny was Darren subtweeted him. And when Pierce Morgan realised that he's a, one, he's popular, he's got yeah. something to say, and he's a published writer, you know, mm-hmm. social commentaries, he basically came back like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. But that's mm-hmm. almost like the, the wall that's met when Scottish people, I mean, I always remember Billy Conley going to America when I was a wee boy and I'm coming on the TV and being like, oh, yes and no, and my dad being like, who the fuck does he think he is? He's forgot his ass. <laughs> like, where's the Glaswegian accent, mate? But mm. then on the flip side, I was getting the same sort of treatment that you were talking about, where if I was like, da, he'd be like, don't talk like that, people won't take you seriously. So yeah. there's almost like a sort of weird clash that was happening yeah. with, amongst the peers my parents were like no yeah. I want to hear you speak in your Glasgow accent but when I was growing yeah. up they're like no speak properly and it's almost like you need to change yourself so that people will accept you yeah. when in fact what we're seeing now is, is that people love it like yeah. music art books everything's coming out now in Scots it's so good to see God there's like TikTok channels in Scots now <laughs> you know what I mean like... I think with, with with my family I think I think with the parents and stuff like that um it wasn't coming from a place of being nasty. It was it was absolute terror that your your Wayne was going to no get a job. Yeah, and yeah. they'd lived through the, the the sort of the unemployment in the eighties. My dad like worked in a factory and lost his job, was unemployed for a long time. And I, I just think that they're they're absolutely desperate for you to do what you know better than what they did and to be accepted. And it's funny because my mum always bought me the Bruins annual and the Urwally every year and got Sunday Post and would say, have you read your Urwally in the Sunday Post? And I'm like, I was like, I think that's that's probably why I can read all the, the sort of Doric books and different things now. And I really, really love reading anything that's in, um, in this, any, any kind of like Scottish dialects. Um, I've, I've read everything from Doric to Dundonian and like, I just, it just takes a wee while for your ear to that's it. So I guess. Um, aye, because there's no standard unit of measure. It's just about aye, getting all yeah. the first couple of pages and then you're in that flow, aren't you? Um, one of the things you touched on, um, you know, a few questions back was that you, there were a lot of Scottish authors who you looked at and had, you know, quite an upbeat kind of tone to hit mm. their work. Um, and that was something that, again, when we're talking about, you know, the, the traditional way we look at, like, Scots literature, you know, that I feel like uh, Duckfeet kind of, like, pushes back against because I, I, I watched you there reading the, the first chapter and you know maybe later on if it's all right with you we might ask you you know day again if we've got time mm-hmm. um and I was really struck by like the pure bright sort of bouncy nature of the voice and although I know the book does touch on some very serious topics down the line um, and we'll, we'll get to that in a wee minute like I was really taken by like how 
engaging and like it was very much like I was listening to a young girl experienced kind of like a, the first of the world with like kind of you know wide-eyed wonder in a lot of respects like that um so that's something again I really liked about mm-hmm. it um but as I said there was some you know serious topics covered in the in the book um I mean what well then why did you think it was important to like explore them through the lens of like a, a teenage girl's perspective I think um, when Kirsten starts out and she's 12 and she's just, she first went to high school and she's, her worries are quite trivial, like, you know, no getting a punny, worrying about going, who are you going to sit next to for your packed lunch and stuff like that. And as you get older, I think your your world expands um, and you meet new people and like, you, she's definitely, she's not got a clue what she wants to do with her life. She just knows that, you know, the, the things that her pals are doing just really aren't what, what she wants. She's got, she's got pals that are, talking about the way to go to uni and study music and all it's just like well I'm not really that academic I don't want to do that but um I, I also I'm no I'm not like Charlene she does she's just about smoking and drinking and you, you know I'm not that either and I think there's a real worry about god I'm nearly I, I'm I'm getting on I'm I'm gonna be leaving school soon what am I going to do with myself um and I also think as well you kind of if you're for a small town and you know, you're maybe you're maybe not got a lot of money, or your parents are maybe no academic. They don't read laws. I think you kind of get ground down, or you get lost, and like you see different. You, she sees a lot of her friends that are not encouraged to do stuff like Charlie. And there's a lot of neglect and stuff, and she sees her sort of going down and down and slipping down, getting into more trouble, and she just watches it to the side. But then, I think as the book goes on as well, she starts to get more. She starts to sort of think more about herself and her own future um so i, I, I think, think the one thing that school doesn't actually prepare us for is leaving school <laughs> and going yeah. into the real world you know what i mean like, it's true yeah. especially around about that time things might have changed it's been a while since i've been there but i came out of school and thought to myself the one thing they've ever taught me today was yeah. to survive outside of school you know what i mean um i think like something i laughed there uh, when you said that she's getting on and we're like we're talking about our 17 year old <laughs> but this is the pressure like yeah. i think that um if, if this is uh, one of the themes of the book and probably like really like sort of current is is that people do feel like this sort of strange thing like have mm-hmm. it all figured out by the time you're 16 or else like oh and i think what what you're saying there if, if i'm getting this right um it's almost like a sort of working class thing it's like a panic mm-hmm. A yeah. panic button gets hit at that sort of 15, 16, 17. Do you want to stay on? Do you want to go and do this or do that? And I just thought that was really funny the other way. And that is the way that we look at it is like, oh, well, yeah. you're, you're 18 now. You know what I mean? You're yeah. like, you, the full world's in front of you. Yeah, imagine, <laughs> you know I mean? you're a, imagine you're somebody that's all your days worked, started scrimped and scraped and really struggled to get a job. You maybe have been a cleaner or a dustman or a road sweeper like my, my dad. And you can never, you, you work really hard, but you can never really sort of elevate yourself. And then your man comes in one day and says, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a poet. And you're like, <laughs> it's just like, aye. Eh, aye, right, yeah. Um, I, I get it. And it's like, it's just not part of their world it's never mm-hmm. been part of their world because writing is supposed to be for the middle class so you'd have like my parents going oh that's 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 lovely that's that's nice as a hobby uh, you know maybe I, you can get a job with a newspaper and i'm like no i want to write i want to write books i want to write poetry i want to write short stories and they're like well uh 
I don't know. We don't know how to help with that. It's just not, it's just completely out of their experience and they worry and they think, well, how are you going to make any money at that? Um, and of course, on the other side of you, you hear about people getting their first book and they, they get this massive advance and that is not realistic for most people either. Yeah. Um, uh, it's so a different, we live in a different world now, especially when it comes to yeah. the arts, especially like you've got things like, I mean, you could go and read all day if you wanted on the internet. You could go and read short stories and um, buy proper established authors as well. So it's almost like the, that that idea, music, it's happening across the board in the arts. Like the money's just going um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's people that are left with passions. Like something that really resonated that you were talking about there was is that I get really discouraged to go into music. Like I actually get more encouragement about taking a management position at McDonald's at 17 than what I yeah. did to pursue my dream and had a, a, a full conversation with my parents where they were like, well, why don't you just go and do that at McDonald's and then you can do your music. Yeah. And I was like, no, fuck that. Like, no. And then a year <laughs> later, my dad telling me that he well, all he ever wanted was a guitar and all he ever wanted was to play music. And it's like, but you... <laughs> actively <laughs> discourage me to do that like, that was your dream and you'll get this these memories that you're telling me now but and I, I i think it's exactly what you said you've hit the nail right in the head how are you going to make money yeah and and unfortunately that's what it feels like the life sort of whittles down into it's like yeah. are you making enough money and oh you'll be all right mm. if you make enough money but we're almost like we're rewriting that and it's like mm-hmm. no like go and try and find your dreams and you know, the money isn't everything and if the money comes fantastic but um yeah. what was your family's was that your family's reaction when you were like i want to be a writer was it like oh christ so like, I, here we go i think I'd, I'd had stuff published since i was like 15 um in magazines and it was like it was just like they were they were all like oh yeah that's really good <laughs> i mean i remember like the first thing i ever had published was in big magazine a teenage magazine 1993 I think 1993 1994 and I'd gone into school I wrote to big Victor Bogoff's column every single week um I was in the hospital and I used to write this is shite the world is shite everybody's shite you know and I try to write make it rhyme and all this and I'd send I'd send letters every week never thought you know it'd ever get read thought there must be thousands of people writing and one day it was just after Christmas I'd gone back to school and this lassie that I kind of knew was a, a year above me came running, you're famous, you're famous. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you're in big magazine. And then I was my my little like six line kind of poem letter thing. That I, and I'm like, all right, that right, brilliant. And I never wrote, wrote anything for quite a wee while after. Well, I never sent anything out for a wee while after that. But mm-hmm. the next thing was a, a poem in a... Uh, Sugar or Bliss or some other teenage magazine right. and my mum sent it in my mum actually sent it in it was on homelessness was it I know about homelessness you know but I'd written this about worrying about I was I was 17 and where was I going to go and live and stuff like that um, mm-hmm. and she sent it in and then I just started sending things to other places and I think that was fine people were happy that I was doing something myself you know but I was still at school um, and you know I never made any money about it you'd sometimes get a magazine or a book that they send you um I think when I started to say or I'd say in school I'm, I'm going to be a writer and older and you just seem like the folk would be like who's going to let Eddie Denton you write you know 
And then there would be teachers that would be like, don't be such an idiot, just get on with your work. We were never encouraged to write short stories or anything like that in school. No. Um, it was, you know, you were, you were, I think there was, you get The Great Gatsby, Bold. That's the two books we did. It must have been a third one. And the one we chose ourselves. Um, and it was, I remember somebody doing train spotting, and it was an absolute fight for this lassie to get a day's train spotting. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. But nobody, nobody was encouraging at all. It wasn't until I went <clears> to like college and, and did like an adult sort of a learner course in creative writing at college. And I, I came in and I was just like, I wanted to learn to create a writing. The church was just like, okay. You know, and the, the class was actually a class for folk that went in and they they were they were just wanting a free swipe with their with their card and all that. It was a it was a class that you could come in for five minutes and get your assignment and go and, and go home. And I wanted to stay yeah. in the class and listen and be like, what we doing? And my church was just like, you are different. Hi. Um and that was much it was Dave Manderson, who's a who's a writer, and he ran uh, the the reading aloud at Chai Obna. Absolutely brilliant. Um, nice. Yeah. Big shout out to him, given where you're doing. <laughs> um. So as we're sort of heading towards, you know, sort of wrapping up, like what what kind of what is it that you want people to take away for Duck Sweet? Sorry, Duck Feet when they've read it. I think hopefully that. They'll feel, they'll feel hope that just because you come from a small town or talk with a regional accent does not mean that you're any less than anybody else. And you're just as you're just as good, just as valid and just as important as somebody that, you know, lives and is middle class and, you know, read loads of books. And, um, and you can be a writer or, you, you know, you, you're allowed to do that as well. You can... You can write books the way you speak. You do not have to write about like being middle class. You can, you know, I'd love somebody to actually, I'd love somebody to read the book and go, oh, I get it. I want to, I want to write, you know, I want to write my story or I want to write about people like me as well and have a shot. I think that would be nice. Aye, that that's, that's like the most sort of purest intention of any art is that it inspires other people to pursue their own art, really. Um, and I think that that's probably why the work's so good. Um, apart from the the the, the labour <laughs> you've put into it, clearly, <laughs> like sixteen years worth of work, like it's incre- incredible. We think, but um, I love that. Like you're just doing your art to try and inspire others to do it, and and um, inspire young people. Like I, I think that that's that's a great message for people to take away if they read it. Um, when they read it, um, whereabouts can they? Sorry. There was a, a, um, I ended up going into a college class one time. It was my um, tutor, Dave, his wife, took a class for kids that had been kicked out of school, uh, that, or, you know, sort of edged out of school. Uh, they were all, like, 15, um, but they couldn't really leave at the same time. And I'm like, what do yep. you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I don't, I don't know what you want me to go in and talk to this class. And they're like, just go in and be duck feet. And there was an absolute ram in the class. And then I came in and they were like, right, you can talk. So I read one story and they were dead quiet. And there's one person, that was good, get in here. So I read another one and they're like, oh, see that boy that was in your story, by the that's like me. And see that lassie? My mom, my mom did the same thing to me that get done to her. And I was just like, ooh, they're getting it. Other people that had maybe been to uni and hadn't had that lived experience that were like, 
you know, who were using big fancy words to talk about my stories and the books, weren't getting it in the same way that these 15 year olds were getting it. And I think that was, for me, that was the most exciting thing that is, is actually happened to have, you know, teenagers going, I, I experienced the same thing and they were, you know, a good decade or so younger than me. Yeah. It's going to be quite unusual for them to be like accurately represented, though, because yeah. when we look at like teen fiction or young adult fiction, like the representations of teenagers are as like fantastical wizards and shit. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you know the savior through the apocalypse. <laughs> and all these other, you know what I mean? Like nobody actually like. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not saying nobody, but nowhere a hell of a lot of people actually represent teenagers as just how they are. You know what I mean? So I think that'd be yeah. quite powerful for a lot of them to have someday talk to them in their own terms like that. I think I think when I was a teenager and people were giving me books like Sweet Valley High and I'm like, what the fuck am I meant to be doing this? <laughs> <laughs> just like Elizabeth and somebody that's a twin and they, they, they go to all these places and they've got all this money and I'm like, eh, what are you giving me this book for? Uh, do we know anything like that? And like, pals of mine were like, oh, you're in a hospital, we thought we'd bring you a book. And I'm, I'm like, but do you actually read this? And I'm like, well, there's nothing else to read about us. I need to write it then. Yeah, it's sort of Twilight and Harry Potter, but the reality for the majority of teenagers is something very, very different. And the mm. kids that you're talking about, the ones that have been edged out of school, I've I remember those kids getting taken to building sites and get taken to places like, uh, yeah, let's get them an apprenticeship because it's all of really all you're telling them is is that uh, you're a lost cause and manual labour is the way for you. Do you know what I mean? That's must be quite shocking, like to get separated like that. And yeah. to hear that somebody's went in and read some short stories and they've they've got it, it's like give I like stop doing this to children, like stop <laughs> like like give them a chance for God's sake. Do you know what I mean? I think that we're starting to thankfully we're starting to move towards a more informed way of you know like things like bad behaviour. It's not yeah. it's not a bad kid. You know like what's going on in the kids' home. But it is 2020, and like you're saying, it's been like the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. It's just generations of people. Is it that no, are... 2021. Oh, it's 2021. I just deleting last year out my mind. Sorry, I was no. just it was shite anyway, so might as well ban it. <laughs> just deleting it, but like that's great now. But like like you're saying that there's been people that have been kind of left behind, and that's really encouraging to hear. And we've spoke recently um, with people where the 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 best music came out of the working class communities like the best art comes through these adverse backgrounds that's what really like it really inspires people to to, to do these things so um it's really encouraging to hear that you actually experience that firsthand with people and and that yeah. they got it a decade later yeah. like you're saying it's the same stuff <laughs> I mean I haven't I haven't spoken to any teenagers recently I don't I haven't had anything back by any teenagers but I mean the books just kind of landed so I've had one person the day said they finished it um, so I, I don't know. I mean, my sister works in Trinity High in Renfrew and she was saying there was some of the kids were quite excited and I was like, well, the book's on sale now. It's a fiver. <laughs> There's a fiver to the, to the end of this week. Um, and somebody else is a school teacher and she says she's bought it for her class. And I was just like, well, you know that I'd say, you know, any of the under 15, some of the, some of the later stories is a bit, you know, a bit mature. And she's like, oh, well, we're doing it now. <laughs> Fair enough. At least you gave a fair warning. You know what I mean? Where where can people um pick up the book? Uh, they can get it direct through Monsters Regiment um at the moment. 
I know that it will be in shops, but I, I'm not really sure when. Um, I think because it got cancelled twice for the, the subjects, we had to start again. Um, mm -hmm. I think there'll be some wee shops in Edinburgh will get it any day. Um, but I, the best thing I know, I, I, I guess, is to get it off a monster short regiment. As I said, till the end of the till the end of the weekend, or then it. Other books are a five. <laughs> I think they're printing too many copies. <laughs> Superb. Um, <laughs> you have you got this ten minutes? Did have you got a, a chance to day the maybe the first chapter for us? Is that all right? The first chapter, yeah. Ah, yeah. just because it finished it finished really nicely on duck feet when I was listening to earlier on. I think it will really give folk the kind of flavour that we're you know what what you're doing. Okay. Chapter one, duck feet. My dad's got bad feet. He says it's because when he was wee, his mother made him wear shoes that didn't fit him. She made him squash his feet into shoes that used to be his brother's because she couldn't afford to buy new ones for the both of them. He's got curly toes now because of it. They're all twisted around on top of each other, like the plates my mom puts in my hair. You can see all the big blue veins in his feet, like somebody's drew them on with a felt tip pen. He can't bend his toes right. And he has to wear steel toe caps to work in case anyone stones in them. Our school is going to be starting swimming lessons soon, and I can't wait. I can't swim yet. So I asked my dad if he'd take me to the bath to let me practice. He said, No. I said, How no? He said, Because I can't bloody swim, that's how no. I said, But you don't need to be able to swim to go in the pool. He didn't say it much after that. I just pointed at his toes and said, If you were me, would you want to show our feet like that? Swimming bass pish. They put me doing at the shallow end with this pure midnight boy called Colin Pawani that looks like he's never had a bath in his life. And this lassie called Harpreet that wears a mad swimming cap because it's against her religion to get her hair wet. I get made to wear these big stupid yellow earring bands and other boys in my class laughed at me. All my pals were up at the seven foot mark doing lengths and diving for rubber hula hoops. I said to my dad, how do you know go to see a chiropodist? A chiropodist, he said. What would I want with a chiropodist? I said, maybe he could help fix your feet, and then you'd be able to take me swimming. My dad just laughed at me, though. And then he said, a chiropodist would take one look at these feet and chop the bloody things off. I only says it to him, because see my wee sister, she had bad feet when she was away, and she managed to get her feet fixed. This guy in the start right shoe shop, he fitted her with the wrong size of shoe and she ended up with her toes up and doing like Gurok. It was all because she'd wee skinny ankles and big broad feet and he packed her toes into wee narrow shoes. My man knew something wasn't right about these shoes because for a whole week after she bought them, my sister wouldn't stop gumming and she'd get pulling the shoes off and flinging them out of the pram. We were coming back for the Sunday school one morning and this guy chased after us because he'd found one shoe at the top of our road another halfway down Benica. When my ma took the shoes off my sister that night, her feet were red raw and covered in blisters, and her wee toes were all twisting together like a corkscrew. My, do, my dad took the shoes back to the shop the next day, and I've never seen him that angry. I thought he was going to punch the guy's lights out. My sister was lucky her bones hadn't set properly, and the chiropodist managed to gear these wee things for in between her toes. They were like braces made of plasticine stuff. And they looked a wee bit like the jelly false teeth you used to get after the ice cream van. The chiropodist was dead nice. And they made me a bouncy ball out of plasticine stuff for me to play with when I was sitting in the waiting room. 
He was deep sea divers in the Varsity. I swam half a breadth and I stopped at the edge of the pool to watch them. They'd snorkels and oxygen tanks and everything. One of them had a pair of green flippers. She was putting them on when somebody got the deep end shout it, head up, feet. And then everybody else started laughing. Then Chris Rice from our edgy class shouted at me, hey, how'd you know get a pair of duck feet to go with your wings? That was what gave me the idea. Aye, but how no? My dad said, no. I said, but how no? My dad said, no, and that's it finished. I said, but I asked about it and everything and the guy said it was all right. My dad said, the answer's no, I'm telling you, and that's the end of the story. My dad's never paddled in the sea or walked along the beach and felt the sand between his toes. He's never took his shoes off on a hot day and run barefoot across a scorching hot pavement. He doesn't know how it feels to have athletes foot of a ruka, and he doesn't understand the pleasure of watching dead skin peel away from the backs of your heels. I just thought, see if he wore a pair of flippers in the bath, then he wouldn't have to worry about folks seeing his bad feet, then he'd be able to come in and watch me swim. It wasn't like I was being funny. I was being totally serious about it, although I did have some job convincing the lifeguard at first. I tried to get my mum on side, but she just laughed at me. Away you go, she said, and don't talk stupid. I said, but what if I is wore them on my feet and die when they feel so stupid? And who's I is? Me, you, my sister, I, that will be shining, she said. You're not getting me in a bloody swimming cosy. I said, but how no? She said, because if I jump in or the water will jump out, that's how no. The teacher wanted me to try doing it for the armbands. I said, I can't. She said, you can. I said, I can't do it, and that's it. She said, if I managed a breath with the armbands, then I'd be allowed up the deep end the next time. I went to stupid rubber armbands. They gave out all the medals for some of the day. All my pals get ones for 20, 30, 50, and 100 lengths. After we come out the water, the teacher linked us up beside the pool and she shouted the names out one by one. I just stood there looking at the spectators bit. My best pal Charlene's ma was sitting up beside the mirrors in the hairdryer. Charlene was the best swimmer in her class, a right water baby. She'd been taking lessons since she was three year old and her ma does all that underwater kinetics or whatever you call it. It was bloody freezing and I couldn't wait to get dried and I didn't even see the point in stoning there anyway when I wasn't even getting a medal. I was about to walk away when I heard the teacher shouting out Colin's name. How did he get one, I thought. He couldn't even kick his legs in a straight line, never mind swim a length. Then they shout at Harpreet. I'd get quite pal about her, and I found out quite a lot about Sikhism, which is our next topic in RE. One of the things I now know is that Harpreet is allowed to get her hair wet. It's just against the religion to cut it, and she wears a mad swimming cap to save a lot of bathing, because her hair's all the way down to her bum. Anyway, I thought it was good Harpreet got a medal, because when she first started, she was feared to put her face in the water, and now she can float with the rubber armbands and me holding on to her horns and pulling her along. I was that busy saying well done to her that I didn't hear my own name getting shouted. And Harpreet said, it's your turn, Kirsty. And I walked down to the front of the line, not really knowing what to expect, because all I had done was swim a bread, and there was my best pal Charlene. I'd done a hundred bloody lengths. Up in the spectator bit, somebody was cheering and roof whistling, so I missed what the teacher actually said. She held out this big bronze medal with a yellow ribbon that said, for outstanding personal endeavour. Didn't really know what that meant. But I shook her horn and I smiled and she put the ribbon there on my neck. My dad was sonning talking to the teacher when I came out the changing rooms. I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well done. And he pointed at the medal. I said, dad, what are you doing here? 
I looked at the teacher and she looked at me and then she said, your dad's thinking about taking swimming lessons. I couldn't believe it. So I said, you're bloody kidding. My dad starts his swimming lessons soon. He can't wait. But he's a bit fear. He came in and sat at the spectators a bit at the weekend and watched me in Harpreet. While we're doing we're here, I said to him, if you come in with us the next time, I can teach you the breaststrokes. That's the easiest one. He said, aye, maybe. I said, Harpreet's dead good, isn't it now? She doesn't even need the water wings. My dad said, listen to you two, your pair of show offs. And me and Harpreet started to giggle. Aye. Well, one thing's for sure, my dad said, and he pointed down to the ones with the flippers and the snorkels that were doing their deep sea diving. You'll no catch me in a pair of their duck feet. <laughs> hey, that was awesome. That was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. Aye, man. But, um, you know, I honestly, like, best of luck with the book. Like, you know, we've enjoyed really everything we've seen and heard it so far. Like, then we can date to promote it or, you know, retweet stuff. Hit us up anytime. Yeah. Is there a, are you going to do the audio version of the book? Um, I hope so. That was that was when the Monsters Regiment came to me and said, Can we can we have the book? I said, Can we do an audio book? Uh, I think with the pandemic and stuff, everything's everything's about like a good six, nine months behind. Um, so mm-hmm. I think, yeah, eventually, maybe, maybe next year. Um it, it would have been 2021 we did an audiobook, but yeah, it's just because like I, I really enjoyed uh listening to Shoggy Bane. Like audiobooks is like a thing that I've just came to recently mm-hmm. and I'm trying to go over that whole if you don't read it, you're not consuming it oh, properly, God. gatekeeping bullshit <laughs> in my own head though, you know. Yeah, you need to read it properly to actually say that you've read it. Uh, I really enjoyed um that and just hearing you read that chapter. I know that Douglas yeah. didn't do his audiobook, he like a, yeah. a voice actor. I think you'd be amazing at doing your own audiobook. Like you so Definitely. you read that so well, but even just the the characterizations and stuff were class. So if if that does happen, I'll definitely listen to it as well as give it a read before mm-hmm. that. Um I because... think there's some people that are maybe stuck with the Scots and, and find it hard because one of my friends is saying I'm having to read different three tw- times. She grew up in Linwood, but she's saying I haven't read different <laughs> three times. And I said but when I, but you've come to all my readings and she's just like, I but that's just your talk. <laughs> so I think some people, they're just not, they're not used to seeing words felt in that way. And I think, I think the audiobook, it's a missed opportunity not to do an audiobook. And I'm absolutely here for it. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I'm insisting I do it. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Um, thanks very much for doing the podcast. It's oh, been really good, even though with the technical difficulties back at the start. This is my um, first podcast. <laughs> Oh, welcome well, back anytime. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, next book will get you back. But um, yeah, thanks very much for doing that. Oh no, thank you. Brilliant. Brilliant.
I can see full of shuffle and feed. Sky fire, can't you see? You can try, but you won't break me. Try, but you won't break me. 